How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and takes are hot. Episode 60 here today, Tuesday, November 7th. Um, hope y'all are having a good start to your week. But, um, you know, on the schedule today for the episode, really just the same stuff. A couple new things, though. Uh, we will close out MLB um, season. We're going to recap the World Series and go over a couple uh, managerial hirings that took place on Monday. Um Free agency, MLB, um, that's underway. So we'll we'll be updating y'all each week on the biggest signings. Golf, um, a recap and a preview. NFL injuries, our first NHL stats update of the season, and our first NBA standings update of the season, followed by ice baths. So a pretty good episode today. Um, about to kick it off here, turn up the heat with some hot takes. Um, we aren't going to touch on college basketball probably until conference play, but um, nonetheless, the season yeah, did probably. start on monday and i believe 21 of the 25 ranked teams are 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 playing monday night the opening night um so that should be a really fun season i think there's a lot of teams up and down that can really make some noise and go for a run and i mean that's normally how college basketball goes you never really know what's going to happen especially in march um a lot of teams can really you know make a move and get hot at the right time and with basketball really not having a ton of um a ton of games in their season then you better hope you get right at the hot at the right time because if you don't then you know you go cold at the wrong time and then your season's over even if you're a highly ranked team i mean we've seen it a lot with one and two seats going down in the first couple rounds of the tournament more than ever over the past couple years um i think coaching has a part to do with that i think a lot of teams that had legendary coaches have switched over the past few years. Uh, we saw UNC a couple years ago. We saw uh, Duke, obviously, um, Villanova. So there's a lot of teams that have new coaches that need to, you know, continue to play really well. And they're supposed to. I mean, Kansas is one. Duke is two. Um, Purdue is three. The reigning champs. UConn are six. So still, still loaded field of college basketball. But looking forward to the season getting going. Uh, Tech will open their season Wednesday night, picks about 7th or 8th in the Big 12 poll. It consists of 16 teams, so about middle of the pack. Um, so my hot take is that Texas Tech men's basketball team will make the Sweet 16, winning two tournament games. I think right now their projections kind of like to make the tournament but not really do anything. So um, to make the Sweet 16 would be huge for them. They looked really good in their scrimmage where they beat number 15 Texas A&M in, uh, in Denton. And, and it should be an exciting team. It's a lot of fun. It's a fast-paced team of a lot of transfers that came in. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, opening game is Wednesday night at home. So it'll be fun to go to and see what it's like. Yeah, I'm excited for Texas Tech base, baseball, well, baseball dude, basketball. Um, more than I thought I'd be kind of given how they played in that scrimmage against Texas A&M. Um, looked really good. Pop Isaacs, obviously, probably the biggest returning piece for them. Looked really, really good in that scrimmage as well. Dropping, what, 30, yeah, 30 piece or 32. Something like that. Um, I think he went shot. I think he took and made seven or eight threes. So um, really good performance from him. Overall, a really, really encouraging performance from them against against number 15 overall. Increases in Rick Texas A&M. So um, I don't know if I'm sending back to the Sweet 16. That's definitely a hot take. But. Um, given the way this team is kind of constructed, um, I've kind of always said it and we've always seen it that, you know, teams of star players tend to make pretty big runs in college in, in college basketball and the tournament, just given that, um, 
you know, as much weight as one player can carry in games, um, the best players can play the best in, during the tournament. So, um, you know, kind of with the team's constructive, they can kind of find a rhythm in the middle of the year and kind of get rolling. I could definitely see them getting hot and um, being a, a, you know, a, a six to 12 seed that makes a run, right? You see it every year. So I um, could certainly see it for them. I think that's, that's probably their range is a six to a 12. They could play really, really well this year and get a six seed. They could also, which would be finished basically finishing the season as a top 25 team, or they could have a not very good team season and squeak into the, in the tournament as a, as a 12 or a 13 seed, or they could kind of be anywhere in between. So I'm definitely looking forward to it a lot more than I was kind of a few weeks ago after, before we kind of before that, that scrimmage took place. So Definitely some uh, some signs of life and some encouraging signs there. Uh, my hot take this week is that the NFL should allow teams to wear their alternate uniforms more often. And basically, what this take is saying is the NFL, NFL uniform policies are the worst. Um, basically, each team has one or two alternate uniforms that they can wear, uh, meaning like different like jersey outside of their home and away. Obviously, like they switch the pants up all the time, um, which the NFL doesn't really care about. But like the main uniform color. So the home, the away, then they've got one or two alternates. Sometimes we'll have an alternate helmet now. Uh, kind of depends on the team. But I'd say about half of the teams in the league have an alternate helmet now, like an alternate helmet color. Most of them have like different face mask colors for their or like decals for their, uh, you know, for their their alternate uniform, which is standard for pretty much every team. But like the NFL basically says you can only wear your alternates one time each during the season, which I think is super lame because I think most fans would say that they like their alternate uniforms the best. Um, I think I would, I may not say that for the Chargers because I kind of think that they're the powder blue that they wear as their home uni with the, with their, with the gold pants is just, it's an elite combo. But, um, I think that some of the best uniforms, the individual, best individual jerseys and uniforms in football are some of like the Kelly, like the Eagles, Kelly greens, the Oilers unis that, that the Titans brought back this year, the Seahawks alternates, maybe probably my favorite. And then the Bucks creamsicle alternates are, have been awesome as well. So um, I think the NFL should start allowing teams to kind of do whatever they want, like college does, where there's really no set rule on how many times you can wear something. Um, I think, you know, players and fans should get more of a say in in what the team kind of wears from week to week basis. I don't know if we should be necessarily like, oh, you have to wear your home uniform, you know, X number of times. You, have to, you can only wear the alternate X number of times. I think it's dumb. And kind of going hand in hand in that the uniform policy is dumb because guy like guys can't wear custom cleats, but like, that don't match the team's uniform colors, but you see like Stefan Diggs uses what is a, a yellow mouthpiece. He's used a yellow mouthpiece his entire time with the bills. A lot of guys will use like green mouthpieces um, that their colors aren't green, stuff like that. So um, I have no problem with that. I think it's fine. I just like the, like the NFL is very uh, kind of a double standard in that way. So I, I wish they would kind of fix those policies. And again, I wish I think that, or I wish, and I think teams should, be able to wear their alternate uniforms a whole a whole lot more often because then they're the best. Uh, most of them are the best uniforms in football. Like I said, I think those Seahawks unis they wore a couple weeks ago are maybe my favorite. Um, some of my favorite of all time. Knowing that they kind of brought the modern twist onto the the classic uh, blue with the green and then the, the silver gray. Uh, I think you said it. It's a rare rare silver gray uniform W um, in the NFL. So love to see it. And I, like I said, I wish that. NFL would loosen up the uniform policy and let teams kind of do whatever they want so that teams with also awesome alternates can wear them more often as opposed to teams like the Bucks have a terrible, I, I, I don't like their uniforms at all, but I think that the, the creamsicle union is one of the best in football. So that's just my take. Yeah. I mean, I love the alternate uniforms as well. I agree with this to an extent um, to where they should be able to wear them more, but I don't think they should 
necessarily be able to wear them as much as their normal ones, like normal home and away unis, just because they'll kind of yeah, lose, yeah. The, lose the impact of having an alternate uni and stuff like that. They'll, so they'll lose the luster. I just mean like more than once a year would be nice. Right. So. I definitely think they should wear them. You know, if you have two alternates, you probably will say like four games a year, you get to wear an alternate uni outside of your home and aways. And I think that'd be pretty fair. Um, out of the 17 games, you know, you're wearing your home and away for 13 of those. Just just to make it a little better, um, a little more variety in terms of what teams are wearing on the field each week. But um, moving on here to MLB, like I said at the top of the episode, um, we will recap this. But from now on, MLB is pretty much just going to be free agent signings. Um, first of all, World Series recap. Pretty exciting series. I know we went over the first couple games on the last episode, but since then, the series did conclude. Um, game one was on October 27th, and the Rangers won that um, 6-5 to five in 11 innings. Game two was the following day. Diamondbacks rolled in that one 9-1. Game three uh, was in Arizona on the 30th. The Rangers won that 3-1. to one. Game four on Halloween, the Rangers won 11-7. Game five was November 1st, and the Rangers won 5 nothing. Um, it was one nothing in the eighth. I thought the Diamondbacks could do something, and the Rangers scored four. So um, that was it. Rangers won in five games and won their first title in 63 seasons. Um, Bruce Bochy gets his fourth title. The Diamondbacks, uh, you know, didn't really have business being in the World Series, but still, you know, a bottom five payroll, a really young roster. They should be good next year. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts, but I thought it could have been a better series. I just think the Diamondbacks couldn't string hits together. There were games that they out hit the Rangers. There were games, I mean, they stole a ton of bases every game, but they just couldn't get hits together to get runs in outside of the one game. They scored nine. Um, I think, I mean, they left a ton of dudes in scoring position. Uh, their pitching honestly was pretty good outside of one game and, I mean, that was that. It's just the Rangers had that veteran experience that the Diamondbacks don't have. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they put extra base hits together. I think they had, like, four in a row at one point. And, yeah, I mean, in terms of next season, obviously free agency is going to change a lot. But next season, we should see these two teams making a run again. I think it'll be more competitive next year uh, throughout the regular season. And I don't think we're going to see – really two teams be favored similar to this season yeah if this this i guess more of a a, a recap on the playoffs people are talking about how the you know baseball is kind of a crapshoot sometimes and and we saw both the braves and the dodgers managers both kind of say like we're not using that excuse this year like that's not what we're going to fall back on anymore we've got to be better I don't know. I'm sure the Orioles echoed a, echoed a similar sentiment where probably a little bit bigger of a pass than the, both those teams you can given how young they were. Um, but I think even you're seeing other teams that underperform the postseason go. It's, we can't just say it's a crapshoot anymore. But it truly, I mean, it truly is. You, you had a 90 win team and an 84 win team make it to the makes the World Series, and it's because they they were the hottest teams in baseball. They got hot in the wild card round and never looked back. Neither of those teams really did. So, um, like you said, I think the Diamondbacks pitching. Outside of outside of really game four was was pretty solid. Um, I think really what what turned the tide for them in this for in the, in this series was game one when Paul Seawall came in and 
couldn't close. That was the first time he'd given up runs all postseason, and he gave up two of them um, in a really big spot to Corey Seager in the ninth inning, tie that game. And you kind of felt like once they got into the po- in, into the in the into extras that the Rangers were just gonna win, um, given the fact that all it was gonna take was one swing from one guy in that lineup. Um, they kind of had the momentum going to that going into that you know the, the latter stretch of that the latter stretch of that game anyways. So um, I think that's really where the tide turned though. I think if you Look at the Diamondbacks go take the first two in, in Arlington. Man, it'd be tough for the Rangers to come back. I think it, it would have been really hard. That said, um, Rangers pitching, man, showed up in a way that nobody thought they would. Um, but was their biggest kind of Achilles heel for most of the year was their bullpen. And the bullpen ended up being the, the strong suit and what and what took this team to a World Series. I mean, you look at game one, give up five runs, start the game, and the bullpen kind of comes in and shuts it down. It gives them a chance to win the game. Um, game two kind of as a wash game three. I mean, that game was t- like, what it was one to one for a while. Bullpen kept a minute. And, um, ultimately they, they finally got to, um, you know, finally got starting the Arizona's pitching when that game three to one, um, offense lit it up in game four. And then in game, in game five, uh, was that, was that the game? Was that the Zach gallon game? Game five, yes. right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Gall- I mean, they were zero, zero. I mean, talk about Jordan Montgomery putting the team on his back for six innings. Zach Gallon tossed a no-no for six innings, and it was it was it was ace pitching from from the Diamondbacks' ace when they needed it the most, with their backs against the wall. And ultimately, um, the Rangers kind of got to him in the seventh inning. But I mean, props to the Rangers pitching for getting it, keeping him in it for six innings. It would have been easy for the for the Diamondbacks to put up a couple runs here and there and be up 4-0 behind a no-hitter from Zach Gallon. And that you know we're talking about going to a game six. And kind of going back to Arlington, and we saw what happened in the last time that that Arizona got to get to a game six and a seven on the road. So, um, you know, they beat the, they beat the Phillies in uh, in in Citizens Bank Park and made it to the World Series. So again, it just props to the the Rangers starting pitching and, and bullpen bullpen as well for being the driving force behind this team winning a World Series and kind of breaking um, the I don't what's the right word for this the franchise long. The life of that franchise, they had won a World Series, so kind of breaking that, breaking that drought for them and finally putting them over the top after uh, being up 3-2 in the World Series, what, it feels like just over a decade ago, 2011. So um, well, it's been a while, but they got back there and um, they got it done. And like you said, Diamondbacks should be should be really good next year. Rangers should also be good. They have a lot of money to spend. And frankly, an ownership that doesn't care about the tax, it feels like the Rangers are going to re- kind of replace the Mets in terms of a spending kind of aspect in the next year or two, uh, kind of will the Mets rebuild for at least a year, probably two years. So I'm um, curious to see how they kind of come into the fold here as we talk about free agency coming up in a second, but Diamondbacks as well. I mean, you think, look at them and um, obviously I think you have less confidence in that roster as a whole going forward, just given they've got some age in there and you kind of wonder if they can catch the lightning in a bottle that they did with the pitching and the bullpen again. But that said, I mean, Zach Gallon is is a bona fide frontline starter. He's an ace. So um, they've got a bona fide superstar in Corbin Carroll, who is going to be the face of the face of one of the faces of baseball for the next decade plus, probably. Um, I think his play style lends itself to being kind of having a long a long career, and, and it lends itself to longevity the way that he plays. Um, the way that he it's similar to Trey Turner, right? Like Trey Turner's game seems kind of a, like ageless, timeless. Um, feels like he the way he hits the ball and the way he plays is going to be good for a long time it feels like Corbin Carroll is a very similar player just in the outfield so um I mean he's also what like 24 maybe 22 23 
So um, they're going to be good for a long time, I think, as well in that division. And uh, we'll kind of we'll see what looks like it's going to be another great division in the AL West with the, obviously the Dodgers, Padres, um, probably two of the most loaded rosters in baseball. We'll kind of see what the Dodgers do and put in free agency, given they have a lot of a lot of open spots on that roster. But Padres, obviously, probably not spending this offseason. Arizona should be spending. And the Giants are always going to look to spend. So kind of with those four teams, could all make the playoffs. And you've got the Rockies at the bottom, obviously. But kind of shaping up like the AL East is uh, in 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 the American League. Um, and that kind of wraps up my thoughts on the World Series. Like I said, Corey, or I, I didn't talk about it yet, but um, Corey Seager. One of the all-time great October players, I think. Um, guy is is unreal to what he did in the postseason and in the World Series. So um, big ups to that guy. I wish he was a Dodger still, but um, that's how it goes, right? So, um, but I guess kind of moving forward into we'll hit we'll hit this couple manager managing kind of bits of information we got today. Um, Chicago Cubs. Quietly moved on from David Ross and hired uh, Milwaukee manager Craig Council as their own manager. Craig Council is was announced today as a finalist for manager of the year, so or National League manager of the year, which is interesting. Um, he's now been made the highest paid manager of all time. I think it's north of eight million dollars a year he's being paid. Which um, <laughs> I'll let you give your thoughts on it, but I think that is an egregious move. I'm not sure. I, I get that the the Brewers are a good team, but I'm not sure what Craig Council has done to warrant being paid eight 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 and a half million a year um, when it feels like they could have just tried to go hire someone else. I mean, I think Gabe Kapler would have been a fine replacement for them for a couple of years. I think Gabe Kapler is a fine manager. I th- that they won 107 games with a roster that was not the talent of a 107 win team. Um, how much that was Kapler, I don't know, but I mean, you ain't paying him, probably paying him a couple mil, not eight and a half. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting move from the Cubs. The Brewers obviously lose a manager of your candidate and have to go find somebody else. Now, I don't think they'll have trouble finding somebody. Um, that's kind of an interesting one, and I'll let you give your thoughts, and we'll get to this next uh, managing hire today. Yeah, I thought it was. I honestly thought it was a good move initially, and then, yeah, once you see the, the contract and how much they're paying him, it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I get, I guess they're trying to, you know, go for it all next season and, you know, the next couple seasons. But, yeah, a little confusing. And then the, the New York Mets hiring former New York Yankees coach Carlos Mendoza as their manager. Um, he, he had multiple roles with the Yankees for about 15 years, and um, I thought this was a fine hire. I mean – not a bigger name guy, but a guy they probably know a lot on being also from New York. Um, I don't know what their list of candidates looks like, but landing on Mendoza, obviously, for a reason. I think this should be fine for them uh, as they kind of need to build up their farm system a good bit and, you know, pretty much build the team around Pete Alonso as it looks like what they're going to do. Um yeah, I mean, I don't think they really could have gone wrong. You can't really judge it in this scenario until you see how, how like, what his work looks like. Um, so it should be interesting to see how they rebound this year, how they attack the season in the next few seasons as they try to get back to, you know, what they thought they were. Yeah, I just like like you said, it it it, it obviously it's a great. I think take them take the money away. It's a really good move from Chicago to hire a proven manager. Um. 
I'm just unsure of the process myself. Like I'm a big, I guess I've said it before, I'm big on process and being process oriented. And I kind of just don't really understand the process behind this decision and the process behind it of paying him this much. But again, it doesn't really matter for a team like Chicago. As long as they win, the $40 million is a drop in the bucket to them. So I guess it didn't really matter. It just, like I said, in a vacuum, the move is great. It's it's a really good high managing move. Moving away from David Ross, I'm unsure of why. I'm not saying he's a great manager. They didn't obviously make the playoffs, but um, curious as to what that kind of looked like behind the scenes. And obviously, um, so they would have had to ask permission to interview him, to, to ask the Brewers permission if this was to happen prior to November 1st. They didn't ask permission. So this came together in the last, like, probably 48 to 72 hours, I would guess. Um, so which is interesting, kind of as, as as quick as it came together. And as willing as Craig Council was to leave, I think he's telling about how the Brewers have run that organization. I think I, when I texted you, I said, man, like, I get that that's probably a lateral move from, like, a team standpoint right now. Yeah. Maybe it's a step up because the Cubs are, are a team that should be – should they bring back Cody Bellinger, which we'll get to in a minute, they should be on the up and up. Spending to get a, it sounds like they're going to spend to get a pitcher this offseason too. So whether that's in a trade trade with Milwaukee, which may not happen anymore, um, given that 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 relationship maybe that bur- that bridge might be burned from a an executive trade relationship standpoint. But I think it, I, I texted you and I said, man, Craig Council really looked around at how they'd manage this roster, the front from a front office standpoint, and said, man, get me out of here because they really haven't done a good job. They've been in positions, they've won a lot of games in in the past, you know half decade to decade and they've really done nothing with it. I think you look at Christian Yelich is a guy who's a franchise cornerstone and they refuse to pay a frontline bona fide consensus top five starter in baseball. They don't want to pay him. I'm unsure of why seems like a guy you want to build around it. Considering the fact that they have consistently won 85 to 95 games in the last few years. So I don't really get it. I think the way that they've managed that team's been poor. And I think that again, Craig council, the way in which he just up and left that quick and kind of at the first jump is pretty telling of how he feels. Um, so, and then, yeah, like you said, New York, New York Mets hiring uh, former Yankees coach, Carlos Mendoza as their manager, bench coach. Um, couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Maybe it's a good move. I don't know. I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm not a Mets fan. Um, this is kind of the trend though. You often see, um, teams hiring managers from, you know, good teams. So, like, I think the Dodgers have had their their pitching coach. Mark Pryor's gotten a few interviews. I know uh, bench coach with the Astros has gotten a couple interviews. Uh, and he's probably, probably going to take over that job for Dusty. Um, you know, guys of that nature. So, um, Alex Cora was the third base coach or bench coach for their hitting coach for the, for the Astros. Took the Red Sox job as a manager. So, that's kind of how this stuff usually goes. Um yeah, I guess if you have any final thoughts on the managing hires, feel free to give them or we can get into these free agency qualifying offers. No, we can move on to the offers, I think. Cool. Um, I know at least for the Orioles, they had five guys. Only two were eligible and they didn't extend either of those. So only about seven across the league. A um, couple big ones, Shohei, obviously, um, from the Angels and then Aaron Nola with the Phillies. Two big ones. Um, it should be interesting over the next few days. I know free agency technically started today, but, you know, we'll see what happens. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, Shohei and Aaron Nola, two of the big ones. Blake Snell, present, you know, the assumed and also young winner got an qualifying offer extended to him. Sonny Gray, right-handed pitcher for the Twins. Matt Chapman, Blue Jays third baseman. Josh Hader, left-handed closer for the Padres. Then Cody Bellinger got one from the Cubs. Basically, the way that these work is that uh, essentially given, I believe you have to have X number of service time, uh, guys are eligible for a qualifying offer. So like Shohei's was like one year, 20-some million. Typically, that's how the qualifying offers go. It's a one year for anywhere from 18 to 20-ish million. Um, guys have until November 14th, so I believe eight days, to um, to accept those or continue in free agency. They can accept offers before then. It just means that these qualifying offers are only good for basically eight, seven, seven or eight days. Um, doesn't what doesn't keep so like Shohei got an offer from the Angels. Just because the Angels extended a qualifying offer, he doesn't it doesn't inhibit or prohibit him from signing a deal with another team until November 14th. If that makes sense, it's kind of just like extending an offer to a guy that gets a qualifying offer that's eligible. Again, oftentimes most guys don't get them because most guys um, that get qualifying offers are going to be making more than that. Oftentimes, guys who don't get qualifying offers are not going to be making more than that. So, um, a couple big names that are hitting the market. Um, I'm kind of looking through. Soler got on there. Uh, I'll start with him, Jorge Soler. Um, so often guys, oftentimes guys can just elect. They have a there will be a mutual agreement or a mutual option, a team option, or a club option, or a player option. Teams will decline options on certain guys in the free agency, or mutual options will be declined by the player, and they will then go to free agency. Um, so Jorge Soler, outfielder for the Marlins, big power hitter, um, had a really really good kind of end of the year this year. Um, he uh, declined his mutual option, is hitting for agency. And then um, Lance Lynn got his option declined by the Dodgers. Looking for any other the big names. Um, most of the time, guys will elect for agency because they want to get the money. Like Aaron Nola, quote, elected for agency. But, like, that's kind of just – I don't like the way that they word it. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of another couple other couple big names there of guys that have elected for – or the guys that have got their options – kind of decline i'll let you take this last one um comes a little bit as a, as a surprise this this third one on here um but yeah i'll let you take this last one like i said lance lynn right in a pitcher dodgers acquired at the deadline got his option decline 18 million dollar option declined um not a big surprise there it was kind of a, a um an expected move i think but this other guy was not i'm shocked that this guy's hit the market yeah tim anderson uh the shortstop from the white Sox. Is it's interesting scenario for him. I think across the board had a down year uh, with the White Sox, and I think they expected more out of him. Obviously, um, his moment of the year was his uh, debacle with Jose Ramirez. No um, good. But yeah, I don't know what the plan is for him. I think um, obviously not going back to Chicago. Um, or at least the White Sox, who knows, maybe the Cubs could pick him up, but, um, I don't know what he's going to be or what team's market he's going to be in. I think, trying to think of fits. I don't really, I can't think of many off the top of the head. So he's going to be a guy that's going to have to wait. I think there's not a lot of shortstops. It's not like two years ago where they were last year and the year before it was like, Man, there's a million shortstops the last couple of years. There's not a lot of them this year. It's actually a pretty weak for agent class for the bats. I think Cody Bellinger is the consensus best bat available, which 
isn't a bad thing given the year that he's had, but I think given his track record, it's not great. I think Matt Chapman's next kind of behind him, um, given the guys that get qualifying offers. Um, Solaire is going to be a good option, but I think from an infield standpoint, a middle infielder, I don't know how he's going to how he's going to shake out. But given the fact that he got his option declined, and with all of the, I'll say not positive clubhouse reports we got this year about him, it doesn't look all too promising that he gets a massive deal. The other thing to note here is that like. MLB free agency really takes a long time to get going. Like technically it opens today. Like it opened this afternoon. Guys can officially sign. We're not going to have any big names sign for probably at least a week up. If I had to guess, um, this is not like the NBA more like the NFL. It's not the NFL where the NFL, like the, the tampering window opens and guys are wheeling and dealing deals are getting signed. Not really like that in the MLB. Um, there will be a 100% according process for Shohei Otani. He will take his visits to teams that he wants to sign with. Um, he'll hear their pitches, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of people think he already knows where he wants to go. I couldn't tell you. I have my thoughts on where he's going to go. I've met, talked about it before. Um, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell probably also get courted and do the whole process of visiting with teams to an extent. Um, I would even say potentially Cody Bellinger, given he's the top bat available. So, I'll be curious to kind of see how how that's how this timeline shakes out. But yeah, Tim Anderson, not I mean a name that I think before the season started was a name like man, watch out for him at the deadline to to be the best bat available. Obviously he wasn't. Um, and just an interesting situation with him, a guy who's got a lot of talent, an immense amount of talent, but hasn't quite been able to put it together as a star player, and um, finds himself in a curious position this offseason not having a home right now and really with no like you said I, I can't think of a team that's like oh man that's like tim anderson's spot because i don't peg him as a top shortstop anymore i don't so um guys had strikeout problems he said he's had major glove issues so um yeah like he's like you said there's really no pinpoint home for him right now so it's gonna be tough to kind of what his see what his market kind of shapes up as this year yeah i mean the free agency class is a little bit different this year. Um, it's more pitcher heavy in comparison to bats, like you said. But, um, but yeah, normally there's like a move or two that kind of set the table for the rest of the free agency period, and then we'll see guys start to sign. So hopefully by the time we record next week, we have a move or a couple. But um, but don't you know expect like a rush of moves, like you said. Uh, but that's pretty much it for MLB. Um, like we said, it's really just going to be signings that we'll be covering over the course of the offseason leading up to spring training. As for golf, uh, pretty quickly, last weekend, we had the World Go- or Worldwide Technology Championship. That was held at El Cardinal at Diamante in Cabo, San Lucas, Mexico. The event had a purse 8.2, another small event, and Russell Henley won the event last year. This season, Eric Van Royen won the event by two shots at 27 under. Um, so a pretty easy course. A lot of guys were shooting 62s, um, 63s. I think there was a 60. Um, Any one just under a mil and a half, uh, 1.45476. And this weekend, we're going to have the Butterfield, Butterfield Bermuda Championship at Port Royal Golf Course in Southampton Parish, Bermuda. Um, event has a purse of 6.5, and Seamus Powers won the event last year. So uh, this is another event that has, you know, not – a great field um shout out wesley bryan a guy that 
uh, has never made a PGA Tour start, and he qualified, and this is going to be his first start. Um, his brother, um, or excuse me, Wesley has been on the tour. His brother, George, is making his first career start. So um, a lot of guys that, you know, get their shot happen in events like this. So look for guys to kind of make a name for themselves in these smaller events, and it should be fun to watch. Um, I saw a couple of videos over the golf course, and it's really nice. Um, the best course in Bermuda. So looking forward to that this weekend. Um, moving on to NFL. Just covering injuries for the NFL um, on the Tuesday episodes and then Thursday, like y'all know by now, uh, is strictly NFL. So week 10 injury recap um, with one game left to go tonight or for us um, since we're recording this on a Monday. Giants QB Daniel Jones tore his right ACL. Uh, his season's over, but he should be ready by week one next year. Um, he had that neck issue, too, and that should also be, you know, figured out by hopefully sooner than the ACL. But nonetheless, should be fully healthy by next year. Dallas Goddard uh, this week fractured his right forearm. He's probably going to go on IR out four to six, eight weeks. Um, he might need surgery. But we'll see. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, another tight end. He had a, a rib injury. Could be a, um, a bruised rib. He should be fine to play next week, but probably in a limited role. Jamar Chase with a back injury. He landed hard, and his back injury progressively got worse throughout the game. Uh, he is another guy that should be fine for Week 10 in a limited role. They might sit him uh, having a short week the following week with a Thursday night game. Uh, another receiver, Dolphins' Jalen Waddle sprained his knee, uh, left knee. They do have a bye week, though, so he should be fine without missing a game. Colts wide receiver Josh Downs, a knee injury. Uh, he re-injured it in week nine from, I think, initial injury was week four. Or so we should figure out pretty soon what their plan is with him. Uh, they're going to Germany, so he probably won't be playing in that one. Christian Watson, Packers receiver. Um, he's gotten a few injuries this year and possible concussion. He tweaked his knee recently as well and a hamstring early in the season. So I don't know when, what, when they're going to play him. Probably not this upcoming weekend, at least Traylon Burks concussion probably misses next week. Uh, KJ Osborne, the Vikings receiver, another guy with a concussion, probably out Vikings. Cam Akers tore his left Achilles. He tore his right one in 2021, and now he tears his left one. So um, I don't know what's up with his Achilles, but um, they're not too great for his profession. Uh, unfortunate for him, though. I mean, the Vikings. The Vikings. It's so tough. I mean, I don't know how you tear both Achilles in the span of two years. I get, like, tearing the same one in two years, but tearing two different ones to where there was no, like, sign of any injury before is just kind of strange um but yeah really unfortunate for him um you know their quarterback kirk with the same injury so i'm sure they'll go through at least a part of the rehab together but the vikings um their season is trending downhill fairly quickly after what was a promising few weeks over the last few weeks um Dalton kincaid right ankle um a high ankle deal i don't know if he's gonna be Perfectly healthy. Uh, he should he shouldn't miss a game. And then Lamar uh, tweaked his knee. Apparently he'll be fine. Probably just limited in practice. Matthew Stafford he's been out for a while. 
Um, a right UCL thumb, few games missed. Uh, he should be good to go week 11. And then Puka Nakua, another knee issue. Um, he should be fine with a bye week. Drake London, groin strain, should be fine. Justin Fields, um, he sh- could play Thursday night, but he might sit. And then Deshaun Watson's back. Kyler Murray should be back Sunday. Darren Waller, um, probably back in another two weeks as he's on IR. Tyler Lockett with a hamstring strain. Um, you know, won't be fully healthy, but shouldn't miss a game. And that's it in terms of new injuries or injuries with updates. Um, yeah, should be good to go on that front. The injury list keeps piling up. And yeah, I mean, I don't know who's going to be the next big name guy to go down, but it just seems like every week we're having, you know, at least an ACL or Achilles or both. And just hope it's not to teams that, you know, are making a run. And we've seen some really good teams get injuries um, that have been impactful. I mean, ever since Debo Samuel went down, they haven't won the 49ers. And then Christian McCaffrey's been hurt. Brock Purdy with a concussion hasn't played the same. So that's mm-hmm. just one team, but um, but yeah, it's it's been rough. Yeah, I mean, I think the big ones, the biggest one with I think future implications is got to be Daniel Jones um, going down with an ACL tear. No clue what they're going to do at quarterback with Tyrod still being hurt. I assume Tyrod's healthy in a couple of weeks and they ride Schwack with him the rest of the year. Problem is, I don't know if they should do that because now with Daniel Jones out the rest of the year and good old Tommy DeVito quarterback, like they may not win another game and they may not want to that front office. Joe Shane may not want to win another game. They, they, they are in prime position to get Caleb Williams or Drake may. I hope they do. I want them out of the AFC because the, the AFC got an absolute monster in CJ Stroud this year. So no, thanks. Um, let's keep all the good quarterbacks out of the AFC. Um, sign me up for Quinn Ewers. I'm here for that. Yeah, let me let me line that up. Uh, ship him off to Vegas. But but no, I just I, <laughs> that's the biggest future implication. I feel really bad for Cam Akers, like you said, tearing an Achilles in 21 and tearing another one in 22 or 2023 is a potentially career-ending injury. Um, given the fact that he's torn two now, that's a, that's a grueling rehab process. Despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers is walking without crutches, anything and throwing a football 56 days out of I have the injury today, which is absolutely wild. And he is a freak of nature and an absolute anomaly in every single way. Um, but like, like I said, like, I'll echo the sentiment you did. I really hope we don't see any more big name guys go down. It sounds like the way that Jamar Chase talked about his back injury today, that it is something to seriously not like watch the next couple of weeks. I bet he, I bet he suits up next week, but I bet he has less than 40% snaps. Um, for that offense, if he even plays. So um, I don't know who they have this week. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, do they have a bye in week 10? I Goodness. don't believe. They play the Texans at home. Okay. So that's not a cakewalk. The Texans are a good team. Um, but I might not play him this week because they have the Ravens on Thursday Night Football the week after. So I would I would err on the side of not playing him this week against the Texans. The offense appears to be clicking. T. Higgins looks like he cares about football again, which is great um, for the Bengals. So I think that's 
Yeah, I think Jamar probably didn't play this week. The way that he talked about it, it sounded a lot worse than, than, than we all thought it was. So um, not a great look for them. Obviously, they want to get Jamar healthy. So I certainly something to watch. But, all, again, I got the same sentiment. Hope that everyone stays healthy the rest of the year and hope we see a, a sharp decrease in the number of major injuries we have. It feels like, like you said, every week we get an Achilles and an ACL or two, um, which sucks. So um, kind of moving on to the NHL here. First stats update of the year. Start out with points here, going in uh, ascending order from five to one. We've got uh, Dylan Larkin of the Red Wings with 17 points. Man, this is this is gonna be a tough one. Artemi Panarin of the Rangers, 18 points. Tied with him is Jesper Jesper Bratt, almost Brett. It's almost oh, almost nice. an epic name. Tied with 18 points in the New Jersey now. Devils as well. Um, teammate of Mr. Bratt, the Jack Hughes of the Devils as well, at 20 points, tied for first. With Elias Pedersen of the Vancouver Canucks at number two, at uh, number one with 20 points as well. So um, don't recognize any. I'd recognize the next name on the top of the goals list for sure. Um, recognize a couple other names in the goalie list, but don't necessarily recognize a lot of the names in this stat in the points list. But hopefully I will in the next couple of weeks when I start watching some more hockey. Now that baseball's over, start watching a little more hockey. Yeah, I mean, putting this together, um, obviously we don't follow it as closely as basketball, football, or baseball, but um, still know a few names on here. Uh, in terms of goals, Travis Konechny um, of the Philadelphia Flyers is at nine in a four-way tie for second, actually, um, with Frank Vitrano of the Anaheim Ducks, Alex Dabrinkit at from the Detroit Red Wings, and David Pasternak with the Bruins. All four of them are at nine points trailing Austin Matthews or nine goals, excuse me, trailing Austin Matthews of the Maple Leafs who has 11. Um, soft to a really hot start expected for him. Um, but yeah, not a ton of assists for these guys, obviously um, not with that, with not being on the points list. Um, you know, they're pretty much the primary option for their, for their teams and, you know, they're not doing too much passing it around, um, you know, around the goal. So, um, I expect Matthews to stay up there for most season, if not the whole season. I think we'll see some other guys come on strong, have some hot stretches later in the year. But we probably don't see too much movement past like the first month or so. Yeah. yeah I think, I think in, like in most sports, you see a lot of guys start to separate themselves about a month and a half. It was four to six weeks into the year, you see guys really separate themselves and Still not at the top of shoot, we've seen it in, in the NFL. Kind of once we get through bye weeks, we'll see a real, really good picture of what it looks like there. Um, Austin Matthews, like you said, probably going to be at the top or near the top of that goals list basically the entire year. Getting into safe percentage here, James Raymer of the Detroit Red Wings at a 944, so 94.4% save percentage. Thatcher Demko of the Vancouver Canucks at a 94.7% save. Jonathan Quick of the Rangers. Guy's been around a long time. Uh, this guy. He won a Stanley Cup with the Kings in like the 2010s. So this dude's been around a long time. Uh, 94.8% just above uh, Vancouver Canucks goalie. Number two, Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins at 95.4%. And then number one, Semyon Varlamov of the New York Islanders at a 97.2% save percentage is uh, number one. Again, this is this will fluctuate a little bit, I think, like I said, uh, with, with goals. This will start to separate kind of in the next, you know, few weeks, probably three or four or five weeks. Um, we're only a couple weeks into the season. So give it about a month and this will really separate guys at the top and um, expect to see a bunch of these guys still there. I know, I know 
the Bruins and the Rangers have two of the best goalies in, in hockey. So expect to see these guys up there. I know the stars have a really good goalie as well. So I expect to see him up there uh, pretty soon too. Yeah. I mean, the, even these have even separated a little bit with how many shots teams yeah. take each game, but uh, yeah, 97% um, is impressive so far through what, 10 games or so. Um, last stat here is team power play percentage. So, so the percentage of power plays that a team scores a goal when they're one man, at least one man up. Um, so in fifth, we have the Toronto Maple Leafs at 28.9%. In fourth, we have the Vancouver Canucks at 30%. Third, we have the Tampa Bay Lightning at 30.6%. Fourth, or second, we have the New York Rangers at 31.6%. And then far and away, number one is the New Jersey Devils, 42.9%. So a lot of, um, obviously they have two of the top three point getters and, the best power play unit. So that's a recipe for success. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're going to stick with points, goals, save percentage, and team power play percentage. I think those are the main stats that people want to know. Uh, there's a few other stats out there. Um, they just really don't hold the same weight as these. So I think between NHL and NBA, we'll kind of do a, like a three-week rotation to where since we did standings update last week in the NHL stats this week, we'll have an off week next week. And then for NBA, we have a standings, so we'll have a stats next week and then off week the following week. So we'll be covering at least one, if not both, every week. Um, just doing the standings and stats every other week doesn't allow for quite enough game to be played to really make a difference in the standings week to week. Um, so we're going to have every three weeks we'll have a standings, every three weeks we'll have a stats. Um, but I'll let you get started on the NBA standings update. Kicking off the Eastern Conference here, um, going from basically we have nine teams on the list here, um, two tied at number eight here, or I guess, yeah, number eight, the Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers at three and four. Nets are next up in a two-way tie with the Pacers for, I guess, for sixth, which would be at three and three. The Bucks are at three and two, the Magic at four and two, Hawks at four and two as well, tied for third there. 76ers at four and one, and then the Celtics leading the way 5 and 0 have yet to lose a game yet in the in this early in the young in the NBA season. I believe the in-season tournament is happening right now or just started. The courts are hideous. I will I will not be watching any of those games on those courts. I will simply just check scores. I refuse to put my eyes through that. That is criminal what they did to those courts. So, um but yeah, Celtics in the early lead here. Um again, we're not going to see separation on this for probably another month maybe even a little longer. Um, so we'll kind of, we'll see probably 30 games in the year. We'll get some good separation on these standings lists, but um, no shock with the Celtics and the uh, 76 at the top there to start the, start the year though. Yeah. I mean, obviously early in the year, teams are five to seven games in and really no separation. Um, but you know, as we progress, like anything else, we're going to see a good bit of separation. Uh, but, I mean, the Celtics Sixers, two of the best teams, so they should stay up there. The Bucks are, you know, just two games back of the Celtics. So, um, you know, the good teams are playing well to start the year. Uh, we'll see if that keeps uh, pace. But the Nuggets in the Western Conference lead the way at 6-1. and one. Um, Starting with the teams, we kind of just did the top eight records and ties. So three teams in the West are 3-3 three and three in the Spurs, Lakers, and Thunder. Um, the Timberwolves and Clippers are 3-2. and two. Pelicans are four and two. The Warriors are five and two. The Mavericks are five and one, and the Nuggets are six and one. Um, I watched the Nuggets versus Mavs in-season tourney game in Denver. 
couple days ago and the royal blue court with the neon yellow stripe going through it. Um, it was just really weird watching the players play on such like a bright surface is strange. Um, and to go with it, the mismatch unis and whatever city edition colors teams are wearing, it's it's very strange. You can mistake it for a you know European league if you didn't really know what was going on. So in-season tournaments, a little weird, a little different. Um, they don't really give enough incentive for guys to treat it like anything but a regular season game. So it's pretty much what it's going to be. Um, you know, every team has a different schedule. This tournament is kind of pretty constant throughout the next what month or two um and a lot of teams are playing different days you know some teams play three tournament games in a row and other teams will play one and then wait another two weeks and play another so it's pretty uh back and forth confusing between all the different groupings that you have you have four groupings in each conference and stuff like that so so far we're seeing the good teams play about as expected and then some young teams playing wells too playing well as well um I really don't think we've seen any surprises to this point in the season, like guys playing really well or guys slumping. So it should be a pretty exciting NBA season. Uh, I'm excited that basketball is back. I know it's a big season for a lot of teams that need to, you know, really make an impact, uh, go on a run this year. So moving on um, to the ice bath to close it out. Um, real quick, mine is that NFL teams are just weaker across the board this year in part due to energy injuries and penalties, not energies. A little energy. They can be low energy though. Sometimes you get a little tired. That, that could impact. Fair enough. Could impact. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the penalties I mainly just put in there because the way the refs are calling the games, especially also not because of the refs, but these fines guys are getting are really changing the game for the worse, and it's affecting guys' performance and level of play and then injuries is just a nasty part of the game to where you know you lose a really good player and your whole team is completely different and we saw it with Aaron Rodgers opening weekend we've seen it with Kirk Cousins on a lesser degree uh, with the hot Vikings team I mean it's it's unfortunate but it is what it is Um, I think this year overall the team's just like I said are like a step back from the top teams in previous years Yeah, I think there's a lot of parity in the NFL this year. I think we've got – I think when you look at across the league, this is some of the best quarterback play we've had in the NFL in a long time. I think from a team-to-team standpoint, I think there's a lot of really good quarterback play. Um, I also think – I always forget every year how hard it is to play in the NFL and how hard it is to win games in the National Football League and how difficult it is for teams to be successful on a week-to-week basis. Um, I'll hammer this point home again. Coaching matters a lot. And I think we're seeing the teams with good coaches continue to be fairly consistently good. And we're seeing the teams with okay coaching be okay at times. So, uh, you know, obviously talent is a large factor. I think you look at like the Giants are a team that I think Brian Babel is a really good coach and they just have been injury riddled and they don't have a lot of talent and they regressed heavily to the mean this year. And they've probably, you know, gone swung the other way of they're a little they're losing a little a few more games than they should, you know, in, in, in tight contested battles. So again, but the NFL, I think the parity is good for it. I think the fact that we are basically nine weeks in and have no clue what the playoff picture looks like for either conference outside of a couple teams is a good thing. I think that's generally a good thing. Um, 
So there's that. And again, I think quarterback plays a big part of me. There's a lot of really good quarterback play in the NFL. And I think the NFL defenses are keeping offenses on their toes a lot as well. I think it's we're in a we're in a period of the NFL where there's really no one set defensive scheme for teams to have to game plan for. Which I think we saw a few, you know, a while back with kind of the cover, the Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, Legion of Boom, cover three type deal that we saw for a long time where everyone wanted to run it. And then everyone wanted to run the kind of the two, the two high look that, you know, Brandon Staley ran with the Rams and Vic Fangio ran. And now teams are very multiple. We don't, there's a lot of variation between teams uh, for a defensive standpoint, which I think is also part of it. Offenses have a hard time game planning each week. Um, the league's also as talented as it's ever been. Genuinely, I think that um, as many injuries as many injuries as there have been, I think the league has a supreme amount of immense talent at, at, on everything. Most teams have a lot of talented players, um, more than we've seen in a long time. So I think this is the parity is a good thing. My uh, my ice bath is that uh, like we touched on today, MLB free agency kicked off today. Um, it should kick off with like a first you know decently large signing here in the next few days. Um, Probably won't see like the Shohei's or the Blake Snell's sign for a few weeks, about a couple weeks probably. But um, really, really looking forward to it. It's shaping up to be an influential offseason. I think there's a lot of a lot of names that we're talking about being moved. I know we talked about how it's a weak free agent class for the bats, but like Juan Soto could easily be traded this offseason. It's a guy who's been his name has been linked to trades all basically since the deadline up until now. Um, you think like I said, Corbin Burns is a guy who. The Brewers don't want to pay and has been linked to trades basically since the deadline. So um, we're going to see the we're going to see the greatest player in the history of the sport hit, hit the hit the, hit the open market. And unfortunately, he's not healthy. I really, really wish. Granted, my team, I think, is going to sign him. They're going to get a massive discount for, you know, not having to pay him as much as they would have. But like, you know, we're not even seeing him at his peak. He won't pitch for another year. And he's still going to get the biggest contract we've ever seen, probably. So I think it's pretty unique that we're going to see the, again, a guy who, when he retires, is probably going to be the game's greatest player. We're seeing him hit the open market. That doesn't happen that often. In his prime, nonetheless. Like, Tom Brady never hit the open market in his prime. Peyton Manning didn't hit the open market in his prime. Like, this is like LeBron James hitting the open market when he left Cleveland the first, like, the first time. Like, this is what it is. This is literally what it's like. I mean, even if he doesn't pitch, he's still one of the, one of, if not the best hitter on the planet, and he's a free agent this offseason. So um, it's pretty wild that, that we could sit out. I don't think people really appreciate it enough, and I, I wish more people would appreciate it because um, it's such a rare thing that we get to see. So, um, But yeah, even outside of him, I, you're looking at some really, really good starting pitching names, um, even outside of the Blake Snells there. And, I mean, Sonny Gray is an awesome starter. Jordan Montgomery, who's a monster in the postseason, is a free agent. Um, I don't even know what to say his name. I'll say it because it's cool. It'll give me an interesting kind of path to follow with the legality stuff. But Julio Arias is a guy who, prior to this year, going into the season, he was the premier arm on the market. Like he was going to be the number one arm on the market. And then Blake Snell won the Cy Young. And obviously the off the, off the field stuff happened with Julio. But kind of how his saga plays out. What what does that look like? Does the legality kind of clean itself up in the next month and a half, and he gets a he gets a contract or? Does this prolong itself a year and he doesn't play next year? I don't, I don't think he's going to play next year. I think it's going to be the you know, legal process takes a long time. And um, unfortunately, he's in the city of Los Angeles where 
they've got a lot of cases to sort through and a lot of cases to bring the courts in lot it's just being such a big city so it's such a big county so um I don't think he plays but that's another name to, to kind of look at it's a talented name that's out there that we have no idea what's going to happen with him um Clayton Kershaw's another name that guy could retire the guy could go to the Dodgers he could go to the Rangers like we have no idea he's one of the game's greats um so this is going to be an influential offseason. I think we're going to see a lot of movement more than we normally do in baseball. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's always exciting. Um, more exciting when your team is supposed to go spend a whole boatload of money this offseason like the Dodgers are. So I'm obviously cluing in or tuning in because um, my team should is supposed to be spending a whole bunch of money. But I'm excited nonetheless. Um, offseason is always fun, um, especially in baseball where – a lot of movement can go down, and you see a lot of tra- you see a lot of trades take place in the offseason, which you don't really see in a lot of other sports. So certainly looking forward to it, and kind of seeing some of the surprise flashes and kind of who who ends up where. It'd be fun. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm just, I mean, I hope the Orioles make a move, but I just don't really think they will. But on the good side, um, they are they aren't really losing anybody, and. Uh, at least next year they should be just as good. Uh, we'll see. But, you know, they're hopefully, honestly, if they just signed one pitcher, I'd be fine. That's really all it takes for me. I don't think they're going to just because of their track record. But with them being good now, uh, winning over 100 games, they should change that track record. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, nonetheless, I still look forward to all the signings. Uh, I still like seeing guys trade places, change places. I, I mean, it, I love the all free agencies, all trade deadlines, it's always fun. Um, you know, when you see guys make a different impact in a different organization, it's it's interesting to see how some guys' games, you know, are transparent, and then other guys really, you know, struggle in a new place and need to another change of scenery to kind of bounce back to their full form. But it's all fun. Um you know, it's not quite as rapid, like we said, in the MLB uh, in comparison to basketball and football. But nonetheless, uh, it's still time for guys to change places and looking forward to it. And we will cover most of, if not all, the big signings on the podcast, um, you know, in the coming weeks when they when they make their decision on where they're going. So appreciate y'all for tuning in to episode 60 today. Um, Thursday Turf Talk, I believe the 12th edition already, will be out on Thursday, where we'll cover week 11 of college football, week 10 of NFL football, as we are halfway through the football season collectively. Um, Yeah, some big matchups in college football especially, um, and some good primetime games in the NFL on Sunday and Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Follow us on Cold Seat Podcast on x and instagram uh to stay up to date on the latest news and sports sports news overall um and we'll see you in a few days see you guys then